I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Okay, if this all ends with George Santos turning out to also be Lindsey Graham, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. If somehow you missed it, seven days ago, while America slept, a Brazilian drag performer named Eula Rochard went on Instagram and posted an old photograph of herself standing with another drag performer in a dress, a very nice dress, and wrote as it translates from the Portuguese, me with the American Republican deputy at the Nitroy parade, with whom I spoke, he wouldn't leave my house, there's the proof for those who called me a liar. Eula Rochard says, standing next to her in that photograph is George Santos. In address. The Republican Party which has turned itself into an arm of persecution against drag performers, which has insisted every one of them and every one of us who supports them or refuses to target them or ascribe terrible motives to them is a, quote, groomer, which has tried to break up their performances with everything from armed vigilantes to panicked legislation, which has put the lives of every one of them at risk, which has revived Pizzagate and every other transparently ludicrous, paranoid conspiracy and centered it on them, the drag-phobic Republican Party has twisted itself into knots to defend and maintain in his new ill-gotten house seat a drag queen named Katara Ravache. Katara George... Anthony, Devolder, Zabrowski, Santos, Ravache. This, this will be why Kevin McCarthy ousts him. The GOP anti-drag, their groomers, you'll burn in hell panic mob has too much momentum, too much attention, too much power, too much invested in it for any of them to drop it or to turn back yet. If Kevin McCarthy and House Republican leadership try to finesse this, the pitchforks and torches they unleashed will be turned on them. Kevin McCarthy, groomer. Even if there is no further photographic evidence beyond that one old shot on Instagram, it's over. And ask yourself, what is the point of somebody dressing in drag besides leaving photographic evidence of it? Oh, and there may be a YouTube video of Katara Ravache in a dress, just a little black dress, and then they go in for a close-up, and the face looks like 
George Santos and Gula Richard says, yeah, that's her. For the record, there isn't a damn thing wrong with drag queens, and there isn't a damn thing wrong with kids seeing drag queens. And if you have any qualms about that conclusion, I have only two words for you, Mrs. Doubtfire. Also, for the record, it appears Katara Ravache was named for an enduring Brazilian actress named Irene Ravache. And also, for the record, it appears the first American to find the Euler Richard Instagram post was writer-producer Rachel Wolfe. And the first to interview Eula Rochard was Marissa Cabas, who does a Santos newsletter. And for the record, last April, candidate George Santos posted a video to Facebook endorsing Florida's don't say gay law. And as the New York Times put it, quote, Mr. Santos, in a caption for the video, accused Democrats of wanting to groom our kids, repeating a conservative talking point that associates any discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity with children to sexual abuse. Hey, everyone, Mr. Santos said at the beginning of the video, George Santos here, end quote. That's the point. The hypocrisy is the point. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Eula Richard told Marissa Cabas that she met Katara. That's what she says Santos called himself almost exclusively when Katara was 16 or 17 years old. Quote, the picture was taken in 2008 at the Pride Parade at Ikarai Beach in Nitroi. George had disappeared for a little while and then returned to Brazil with a lot of money. And that was about the same time when the picture was taken. George always lied about everything. He used to create stories usually involving money. She says she saw Congressman Santos on TV recently and couldn't believe it, knew it was him, checked with friends, and it's him. Quote, he used to hang out in my house while his mom was playing bingo. Bingo. I don't know what's next, and I'm not sure I want to know what's next. He's a furry. He dated Madison Cawthorn. He's actually three short liars stacked in one raincoat. He's planning to vote for raising the debt limit. I don't know what's next, but I do know that since this latest one broke, this latest in the series, the daily series of jaw droppers, I have seen in my mind's eye one thing and one thing only, one of my favorite James Thurber cartoons in which a lawyer is holding a kangaroo and confronting a clearly shocked and shaken witness on the stand, and the caption reads, perhaps this will refresh your memory. The irony of all ironies and the sadness of all sadnesses in this is that George Santos as Katara Ravache is probably the most human, most endearing thing he has done yet. In fact, it's probably the only human, only endearing thing he's done yet. This is still the creature who at best let the disabled homeless Navy vets service dog Sapphire die and redirected the money raised for her somewhere else. This is still the creature who has lied about every aspect of his life and lied about the Holocaust and lied about 9-11 and lied about the Pulse nightclub shooting. This is still the albatross around the neck of nearly every Republican who has reduced them now to trying to defend, deflect, by attacking a Democratic congressional aide who mentioned that his office was located in just the right spot to be able to point to reporters looking for Santos by saying, he went that way, and the Republicans have come this close to saying that the real victim here is George Santos. I would go out on a limb and predict that this one, blame it on Rio, has to be the last of the George Santos scandals, or at least the last of the George Santos scandals while he's still in Congress. But we have all learned our lesson here, that this is a man who, in his closet, does not merely have skeletons. He, in fact, has dozens more closets, each containing dozens more skeletons. And the Republican Party of 2023 has, as its lack of moral center, as its organizing unprincipled, the lie. But this is the first lie 
or the first story anyway, that in this moment threatens Kevin McCarthy more than does Santos's resignation and a new special election in the New York Third. If it was not clear before, it is now. McCarthy can risk an eight-seat majority or he can keep what he has now, but he has to spend every second of every minute of every day of the next two years defending George Santos's choice of dresses. There are a couple of other things to mention. A small follow-up to the nightmare of Rich Ostoff and Sapphire, Santos first said the story was fake and he did not know any of the people claiming he, in effect, killed Osthoff's poor dog. Then he issued a statement to CNN, quote, I have no clue what he's talking about. And the crazy part is that anyone that knows me knows I'd go to hell and back for a dog and especially a veteran. I have dozens of people reaching out to me in support, sharing their stories about the dogs and cats that I help save and rescue, unquote. Yes, Congressman. Yes, they're all laughing and smiling just out of frame in that picture. And, of course, a tweet from 2016 referring to Sapphire and DeVolder and GoFundMe is still live on Twitter. GoFundMe also issued a statement. They said they shut down the fundraiser in 2016 after complaints and that its, quote, trust and safety team sought proof of the delivery of funds from the organizer. The organizer failed to respond. The organizer, of course, would be Santos, uh, uh, Revanche, uh, uh, DeVolder. Oh, and speaking of compulsive liars, Trump was good enough yesterday to injure himself on two different fronts. He made a slight mistake during the deposition in the rape lawsuit by E. Jean Carroll, shown a photo of himself and a woman. Trump identified the woman as his second wife, Marla Maples. Quote, that's Marla. Yeah, that's my wife. In fact, the woman in the photo he identified as Marla Maples is E. Jean Carroll. And Trump also handed the Department of Justice evidence of intent in the documents and or espionage case. He posted that when I was in the Oval Office, papers would often be in a striped paper folder with classified or confidential or another word on them. When the session was over, they would collect the papers, but not the folders, and I saved hundreds of them. They were a, quote, cool, unquote, keepsake. That's uh, intent and a confession and a warning for George Santos and every other Republican. Eventually, you do run out of lies, or at least you run out of good lies. And lastly... Just to call back to the beginning of this and to skip ahead, this does not all end with George Santos turning out to also be Lindsey Graham. Maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, but definitely not Lindsey Graham. Still ahead, speaking of pride events, hockey's Philadelphia Flyers had one Tuesday. It could not have gone worse if Santos had been there pretending to be a left wing. And then yesterday, the league itself threw its pride night and its own hollow catchphrase, hockey is for everyone under the bus. Hockey is for everyone except the famous Elon Musk 2016, the Tesla X drives itself video. A Tesla engineer testifies they faked it. And the Republicans are willing to, are negotiating, putting some of this year's presidential primary debates on CNN and or NBC. Do you know how much CNN and or NBC have to have already prostituted themselves just to get that chance? I do, because in 2008, one of the GOP demands for debates to NBC was fire Olbermann. Things I promise not to tell coming up. That's next. This is Countdown. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Still ahead on Countdown, hockey is for everyone, they say. Except if you're in the Russian church that says Pride Night is a good enough reason to bomb Ukraine and kill its civilians. The NHL has a thoroughly botched up disaster coming up. And the Republicans ready to put their debates on CNN or NBC. So what did CNN or NBC do to whore themselves out sufficiently for that? Because as I will tell you in things I promise not to tell, I know from bitter personal experience that the Republicans expect CNN or NBC or any other network to whore itself out completely. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. To Texas and a beautiful stray shepherd rescued by the Big Dog Haven rescue. He doesn't have a name. They have listed him all too aptly as Critical Boy. They found him coated in fleas. He has a small cyst. He has heartworm. And most urgently, he's bleeding profusely from what turns out to be as large a bladder stone as the vet has ever seen. For all this, his prognosis is still great. If Big Dog Haven can raise another 1100 bucks or so for the vet bills, He's just a stray dog. He's just another soul like the rest of us in pain, pain which we can help to quickly relieve. If you can donate, look up Critical Boy on the fundraising site Cuddly or just check my tweets and retweets will help too. I thank you and the shepherd called Critical Boy thanks you as well. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, the New York Mets have signed free agent outfielder Tommy Pham. For the gifted Pham, the Mets will be his sixth different team in six seasons. Though he actually placed 11th in the 2017 National League Most Valuable Player voting, Pham is best known for having walked up to a Giants outfielder, Jock Peterson, before a game last year and slapped him. 
because Pham was mad at how Peterson had manipulated his own player roster in the fantasy football league in which they had played together the year before. Reportedly, Pham got a one-year deal from the Mets worth $6 million, including $2 million in incentives, possibly as much as a million, I hear, if he wins the Mets Fantasy Football League, and another million if he don't slap anybody. More seriously, Sports Illustrated is reporting that the CW TV network is about to hop into bed with Saudi Prince MBS and announce a deal to televise the Live Blood Money Golf League on TV stations in 220 U.S. markets this year. The deal was hinted at by Live publicist and lackey David Faraday, the disgraced ex-CBS commentator who once joked about assassinating Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid. Faraday will fit right in at Live, and by the way, yes, the name Live is meant ironically. More seriously still, the National Hockey League has shamed itself again. Tuesday was Pride Night at the Philadelphia Flyers game. The players all wore uniforms just during warm-ups, the only difference from their regular uniforms being rainbow numbers and letters. There were no speeches, there were no patches, there were no players asked to endorse this or support that. Just wear your Flyers uniform for 15 minutes, just like all the other players and all the other teams and all the other 10,000 Pride Nights in the last decade in hockey. But just before the pregame skate, Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov refused to go on the ice wearing the uniform that didn't have I'm pro-gay or anything else on it, just a rainbow-colored numerals and his name, otherwise his regular uniform. Afterwards, Provorov said, quote, I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. The Flyers coach, John Tortorella, who once proudly announced that if any of his players ever took a knee during the anthem, he would bench them, though he said four years later he was wrong about that and he had changed his mind. Tortorella responded to Provorov's refusal to wear his own uniform only in rainbow numbers and letters by having Provorov sit out the pregame skate, but he played in the game. Tortorella later said of Provorov's, quote, it's one thing I respect about Provy. He's always true to himself. He was true to himself and his religion. Provorov is Russian Orthodox, and that is a religion whose leaders have supported Russia's war on Ukraine because, per the head patriarch, they have pride parades in Ukraine and, quote, pride parades are designed to demonstrate that sin is one variation of human behavior. He added that homosexuality is a sin that will lead to the end of the world. That's Ivan Provorov's religion. So that's what his coach was praising and what the team did not punish. An excuse for Russia's slaughter of innocent civilians based on homophobia. If this could somehow get worse, yesterday the National Hockey League made it worse. It issued a word salad statement in response to the disaster in Philly Tuesday night in which basically it threw its own pride nights under the bus. Hockey is for everyone is the umbrella initiative under which blah, 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 blah. Clubs decide whom to celebrate, when and how with league counsel and support. And we continue to encourage their voices and perspectives on social and cultural issues. It's Pride Night for Homophobes in Philadelphia. I just added that last part. In point of fact, Ivan Provorov refused to wear his own uniform that did not bear any endorsement or change stronger than letters and numbers in different colors than usual. He should have been suspended on the spot for insubordination and possibly had his contract voided. And as to Coach Tortorella, who not only did nothing to Provorov, but applauded his being true to himself, John Tortorella should have been, should be, today, fired. And Provorov's action and the NHL's measly-mouthed, weak-kneed statement that reminds us its claim, hockey is for everyone, is just a brand name. The NHL needs to be asked why it continues to permit players from Russia who subscribe to a religion that states that war against a country friendly to the United States 
is not only justified, but necessary because that country has pride parades. The NHL needs to be asked why it continues to permit these pro-war homophobic Russian slobs to play in North America and take our money from us while they hide behind their barbaric religion. Provorov was not asked to do anything endorsing LGBTQ nor denying his own religion as barbaric as it might be. He lied about his own actions. He mischaracterized sexual orientation as a choice. His coach defended the lie and praised the insubordination. The league then defended both of them. If the NHL really gave a damn or really gave something else about this cause or any of the causes, it continually congratulates itself on, quote, celebrating, unquote. Provorov should have been kicked out of the NHL. Tortorella should have been suspended and fired. And the Flyers should be fined something notable, like five or ten million dollars for screwing this up so badly. None of that will happen, though, because the NHL does not give a damn about this cause. And hockey is for everyone. That doesn't mean anything unless you want to change it to read hockey is for everyone unless this one guy over here believes countries should be invaded and people killed there in their homes because some of them are gay. Coming up, something that pertains to a cable network buckling under to Republican demands, which also features in the latest daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze shared by NBC News chairman Cesar Conde and CNN's chief president and become death destroyer of worlds. And when we worked together at MSNBC, we thought he used to eat paste. Chris Lick. The New York Times reports that the Republican Party is currently negotiating its schedule of televised presidential primary debates beginning late this year, and that its debate committee chairman, David Bossey, from the Arkansas Project and Citizens United, David Bossey, one of the great anti-democracy scumbags in this nation's history, David Bossey is willing to put one or more of these debates on NBC and or CNN. This means, obviously, that CNN, NBC's Cesar Conde and CNN's Chris Licht have so prostituted themselves and prostituted their journalism that they have agreed to the Republicans' preliminary demands. In Things I Promise Not to Tell, you will hear what Republican demands were like in 2008. Many of us civilians would call it blackmail. And the Republicans got Tom Brokaw to be their in-house rep for it at NBC. Anyway, the runner-up, former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who had to quit in shame last summer over a minor scandal, well, over 377 minor scandals, and also his participation in the fraud that was Brexit, but he was railroaded. Boris Johnson has signed a deal with HarperCollins to write a memoir of his premiership. No title yet, no word on the advance he got, but my sources indicate the book will be unique. If you read Boris Johnson's autobiography and then go back and read it a second time, you will be surprised to find it says exactly the opposite of what you read the first time. But our winner, Elon Musk and Tesla. Remember that 2016 video Tesla showed off of its self-driving Model X car stopping at a red light, accelerating at a green light all by itself? Staged. That is according to a sworn deposition by the director of autopilot software at Tesla, Ashok Eliswamy. He testified in a lawsuit against Tesla over a fatal crash in 2018 and quoting the engineer's testimony, Reuters quotes him as confirming media reports that to fake the video, Tesla used a predetermined route from a house in Menlo Park, California, to its then headquarters in Palo Alto, and it used 3D mapping. In other words, they rehearsed the route. And when they tried to have the damn thing park itself at headquarters, the engineer said, it crashed into a fence. Elon, next thing you'll be telling me, the Model X was once a drag performer in Brazil, Musk. Today's worst person in the world! 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, our number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me. I missed the exact anniversary by a day, but uh, it's close enough. The demand for spots in the Shea Stadium press box that night was so great that there was assigned seating. I had no real reason to be there, but as usual, the New York Mets took care of me. And so on Friday, the 5th of September, 2008, I was shoulder to shoulder with reporter friends Watching the Mets begin to blow their three-game pennant race lead against the Philadelphia Phillies. Sorry, Mets fans, for bringing this up again. Brett Myers had just struck out New York's David Wright looking when my phone rang. It was my agent, Gene Sage. They just called, she said flatly. You and Matthews have been fired from anchoring the presidential debates because of what you said. What I had said had been said three nights previously. Chris Matthews and I were co-anchoring the Republican convention on MSNBC. He was there in Minneapolis. I was in the studios in New York, ostensibly so I could also anchor hurricane coverage, although it was pretty clear that at least half the reason I was not in Minneapolis was because the Republicans had threatened NBC or said they couldn't guarantee my safety or something like that, and NBC folded. So I was the one during MSNBC's coverage of the 2008 Republican convention who had to throw it to a video they were introducing that we had been told by the Republicans was a, quote, tribute to the dead of 9-11. It was, in fact, a snuff film. All of the images that all of the networks had stopped showing within weeks or even days of the attacks, all of those images were in this video. People jumping and falling to their deaths from the World Trade Center on 9-11. Endless replays of the planes hitting the towers. Dismembered bodies in the plaza. The building collapses. The equally terrifying scenes at the Pentagon. And all with a grotesque Robert Davi voiceover emphasizing that this was all the Democrats' fault. The message was simple. Elect Obama and you will die like this. I was angry. 
just on that base level. For the five and a half years I had been back at MSNBC, we had been rigorous about not showing any of that video. There were rules that if we had to, for some reason, we should show only the still images, and even then, only with extensive warnings to the viewers. But I knew from my conversations with the president of MSNBC, Phil Griffin, who I'd only known for 28 years at that point, that he would insist that on the scene in Minneapolis, Matthews and Tom Brokaw, whose career at NBC I had resurrected after Brian Williams had buried him alive two years earlier, that one or both of them would rebuke the GOP for showing not a 9-11 tribute, but as I just said, a 9-11 snuff film. The video ended and we came out to Brokaw with Matthews and Brokaw kind of coughed, and Matthews said, well, and he turned to Brokaw and said in that loose fire hose delivery of his, Tom, the kind of underscores uh, terrorism, big thing for Republicans as they try to stop Obama. Brokaw droned on approvingly. <laughs> the Republicans sneaking a snuff film, a banned video, onto MSNBC, and, and by the way, also onto CNN, onto NBC, onto CBS, onto ABC, without any warning, that was not mentioned by Brokaw or Matthews. Back to New York and Keith. I was supposed to ad-lib a tease about what we were expecting from the Republican convention for the rest of the night and then throw to a commercial. Instead, I said, and this is a paraphrase, the original tape disappeared that night, that before we moved on, I felt I needed to apologize that we at MSNBC, and for that matter, NBC News, had extremely strict rules about not showing that video the Republicans had just shown you without any warning, without any context. And we certainly would not have shown the horror and death and blamed it on the Democrats or, for that matter, blamed it on the Republicans. I said, if we had done such a thing ourselves, there would have been people fired at NBC News. The public program the GOP provided said that was going to be a 9-11 tribute film, I said, and so did the private conversations with the network, which included the reminder from NBC and MSNBC that we had rules against showing the scenes of the horrible death and mutilation and destruction. So I apologized on behalf of whoever trusted the Republicans to live up to their word that MSNBC viewers were forced to see the video our network had long before vowed never to show again. So three nights later, without as much as an email, this Griffin guy had called my agent and told her I was fired, Matthews too, from our further coverage of the upcoming McGain-Obama debates. She related these details to me as I walked down the many ramps in the back of Shea Stadium towards the subway. I told her to call Griffin back and tell him I had quit on the spot right then and he could work his way out of the ensuing disaster Liberal network MSNBC fires liberal host Elberman for criticizing conservatives for sneaking 9-11 snuff film onto MSNBC. He could figure that out any way he wanted. And he could hear my response on, I don't know, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, the PBS NewsHour, and any other news program that bothered to ask me to stop by and talk. I phoned my live-in girlfriend, Katie Turr, and told her I was on my way home, and I made a few phone calls to friendly voices within the NBC management structure and got from them a clearer picture of what had happened. And despite the spotty cell service along the elevated line heading back to Manhattan, I got a message from a newspaper reporter friend who neatly tied together all that I was hearing elsewhere. Tom Brokaw is going around NBC saying he got you fired from the debates because the Republicans told him to. Nine, maybe ten months earlier, Phil Griffin had come to me and asked me if I would be okay with this guy who had been kind of disappeared by the network, Tom Brokaw was his name, appearing during our weekly coverage of the Democratic and Republican primaries. Just a couple of minutes, like from a perspective desk, that's all he wants to do. He, he's really, Tom's really unhappy. Brian has frozen him out of everything. Brian Williams, of course. I was appalled but not surprised. The power had gone to Brian's head, and of course there it had not met much resistance. Plus, as I said to Griffin, you're asking me if I'd like to add Tom Brokaw's experience and Tom Brokaw's gravitas to stuff I'm anchoring when I'm not sure I know as much as I really need to know to do this right? You're asking me this. Tom fit in beautifully, and twice after those long Tuesday evenings in the primary season, he sent me brief emails awarding me what he called the game ball, 
because he was so impressed by my ability to balance the roles of political anchor and political commentator. Having tried this myself, one of them read, I know what a perilous tightrope this is, game ball to KO. I'm mocking him now, but these meant so much to me, I printed the emails out and carried them in my wallet. And now he was claiming he had gotten me fired because, as my newspaper friend said, the Republicans told him to. That was not hard to unpack either. Tim Russert had died on June 3rd of that year. I anchored that night until 2 in the morning. It was still an open wound. There were still tears. We didn't know it then, but the structure of NBC News and the perilous tightrope balancing NBC and MSNBC had died with Tim Russert. So did the role of moderator of the second debate between John McCain and Barack Obama, scheduled for about a month after my subway ride on October 7th in Nashville. Tim had not even been buried yet when Brokaw began to angle to get that assignment, along with brushing away the dirt of his petty ante role on the MSNBC perspective desk. We never saw him again in order that he could take Tim's spot as Brian Williams' sidekick on Big NBC. The month before, August, there was a story coming out of the east end of the third floor at 30 Rock, where NBC News management sat around not doing much of anything, that a Republican goon named Ed Gillespie had been in there with Griffin and the NBC News president, Steve Kappas, trying to get me silenced or fired or off the convention coverage or something, and that somebody prominent within NBC News was in there with Gillespie or was invoked by Gillespie, the rumor mill wasn't certain. As I switched from the elevated 7 train to the underground F train, the whole thing came together. Before my comments about the GOP convention 9-11 snuff film, Ed Gillespie had come in and had somehow vaguely threatened Kappas and Griffin about me, using as leverage the debate which Tom Brokaw was now supposed to moderate. And when I apologized for their video on our air, Gillespie must have turned it into an either-or get rid of me or McCain would refuse to participate in any debate moderated by Brokaw or anybody from NBC News. And Brokaw had already come back from the dead once in 2008, and he would be damned if he would be forced to do it a second time. But as the train took me home to an apartment I was now going to have to sell since I had just quit MSNBC on the spot for folding to such obvious Republican blackmail, something else now occurred to me. Why would MSNBC or NBC or our parent corporation at the time, GE, actually think that they could remove me from the debate coverage on MSNBC, where the Rachel Maddow show had yet to be born, and the three times a night my show ran accounted for something like 60% of the entire day's network audience, and do that without getting a really bad reaction from our audience? Plus, if a newspaper man already knew the Brokaw part... How could this story be avoided? MSNBC announced it had removed its liberal star, Keith Olbermann, from coverage of the McCain-Obama presidential debates. Sources confirmed former NBC News anchorman Tom Brokaw, now an MSNBC commentator on Olbermann's coverage, had helped the Republican Party to blackmail NBC into the decision. Olbermann immediately resigned, saying, quote, In succumbing to this coercion on behalf of John McCain, NBC has now forfeited any right to further be called a news organization, and I'm sad to say MSNBC, which I built, is now dead. My God! MSNBC, and NBC News for that matter, would have committed corporate suicide before the weekend was over. At that point, it dawned on me that the only thing that could save the credibility of the whole news division and the careers of Griffin and Kappas and NBC Network president Jeff Zucker, and especially the career of Tom Brokaw, was for me to publicly state that I had asked to be removed from anchoring the debates because the whatever was just too much blah, blah, blah for me, and I felt I should stick to the post-debate analysis and commentary. NBC would now have a choice. They could fire me from the debates and destroy everything, including the $100 million a year or so in profit that NBC made off MSNBC, or I could, you know, lie and claim it was my idea, and save everybody's ass, including my own. I got out of the subway and raced home. Katie met me at the door with a big hug. She had been crying. Relax, I said. I'm not quitting. In fact, I'm going to get a huge raise now. Listen carefully. 
I called my agent and I explained the idea that had lit over my head on the subway like a light bulb to both of them. I said, you call Phil Griffin back and explain to him that I will personally save his job and Steve Campus's and Jeff Zucker's and Tom Brokaw's and everybody else's. I'll take the fall. Instead of letting them all get fired by the MSNBC audience, I'll say, this was my idea. And all it will cost, Phil, is $12 million. And he has to leak the term so everybody knows it cost him $12 million. And she paused for a second and said, it's genius. It might not quite be $12 million, but I bet, I bet they'll pay you at least nine. On Sunday, several news organizations reported I had asked to be taken off the anchor desk. Two months and one week later, the New York Times wrote, quote, Keith Olbermann, the anchor of Countdown on MSNBC, has extended his contract through the next presidential election season, the network announced. Mr. Olbermann and MSNBC essentially tore up the four-year, $4 million year contract they signed last year and replaced it with one worth about $7.5 million a year. So that was a $3.5 million raise for four years for a total of... $14 million, except the new contract added two years to my old deal, so the raise was actually $22 million. All stories have a punchline. This punchline is about Tom Brokaw. We would have gotten away with this cleanly. NBC would have gotten its money's worth for the $22 million in hush money, which is what it was that it had to pay me because I had agreed with them rolling over for the Republican Party blackmail, except Brokaw could not keep his mouth shut. So proud was he of preserving his role as the moderator of the October 7th NBC debate that he had to explain in explicit detail in public how he went to his bosses at NBC News and threatened them on behalf of the GOP. On September 29, 2008, a lengthy and glowing Brokaw profile appeared in the New York Times. Quote, Mr. Brokaw said that over the summer he had, quote, advocated within the executive suite of NBC News to modify the anchor duties of the MSNBC hosts Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews on election night and on nights when there were presidential debates. Mr. Brokaw said he had also conducted some shuttle diplomacy in recent weeks between NBC and the McCain campaign. His mission, he said, was to assure the candidates' aides that despite some negative on-air commentary by Mr. Olbermann in particular, Mr. McCain could still get a fair shake from NBC News, unquote. Oh, that was his mission? The hell it was. Happily, Brokaw just could not resist boasting even further. The next sentence actually reads, quote, Mr. Brokaw said he had been told by a senior McCain aide, whom he did not name, that the campaign had been reluctant to accept an NBC representative as one of the moderators of the three presidential debates until his name was invoked. Quote, one of the things I was told by this person was that they were so irritated, they said, if it's an NBC moderator for any of these debates, we won't go, Mr. Brokaw said. Quoting him again, my name came up and they said, oh, hell, we have to do it because it's going to be Brokaw. There is a second punchline. After all this, when the new format came out and I was sitting there counting my money, MSNBC had David Gregory, quote, anchor, unquote, the debate coverage. David was terrific during this. Practically all this meant anyway was that I was on the air until literally 90 seconds before each debate began, which is when I said, now here's David Gregory. And he was then on for four or five minutes after the debate ended, which is when he said, now here's Keith Olbermann. And on election night itself, with David again formally anchoring, per the Republican blackmail, at 10.59 p.m., to his great credit and to my eternal gratitude, David Gregory said, with the last voting booth closing at 11 p.m., NBC News can now project the winner of the 2008 presidential election. Keith? Bless him. Plus, I still have all the money.
And now the great Chris Licht, John Malone destruction of CNN and the great Jeff Schell, Cesar Conde destruction of NBC have so progressed that the Republicans are willing to put some of their debates on CNN and NBC. Congratulations, boys. Countdown has come to you from the studios of Olderman Broadcasting Empire World Headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building here in New York. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Oberman theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Since I forgot to say it, I'll say it now. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Our announcer today was Stevie Van Zandt. Everything else pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 744th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.